Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. Hope everybody's having a great week. Can we say brr? Like, I mean, holy dina. Uh, what are we at? Minus 43. Tomorrow, minus 43. Day after, minus 38. Hey, that's oh, oh wait, minus 43. Just when you thought it couldn't get any colder in this part of the world. Uh, well, that'll teach you. It can always get a little worse. But we got a good one on tap for you today, so stick your earbuds in, enjoy it. Before we get there, let's get on to today's episode sponsors. First off, Agland, a little Agland history for you. They started in Lloydminster in 1957 as a John Deere equipment dealer with a staff of six. Fast forward to today, 60 plus years of business with three locations, Lloydminster, Vermilion, and St. Paul. Oh, and a a staff of over 130. They uh, service all your John Deere products. Just head to Agland. You can check out their full inventory, service, brand new, used. You got it. Give them a call, 780-875-4471. Deer and Steer Butchery, the old Norman and Kathy James family built butcher shop on the north side of Highway 16 and Range Road 25. Well, that was what it was back in 1995. It was used by the local hunters around the area for custom cutting and wrapping. Fast forward, it's got a facelift. It's got uh, hired... Barry the Butcher, who comes with 20-plus years of meat-cutting experience in the Lloydminster supermarkets, and they're open for your business. Give them a call, 780-870-8700. Jim Spenrath and team over at Three Trees Tap and Kitchen slide in a day for a couple of tasty beverages. They got lots of local uh, beverages on tap. Um... And you can get your growlers filled there. And if you're taking the Mrs. or Mr. out, don't be like this guy. Call and get a reservation. 780-874-7625. It would not be the first time I showed up with the Mrs. and didn't book a reservation. And that's pie on my face. HSI Group. They are the local oil field burners and combustion experts that can help make sure you have a compliant system working for you. The team also offers security, surveillance, automation products for residential, commercial, livestock, and agricultural applications. They use technology to give you peace of mind so you can focus on the things that truly matter. Stop in today, 3902 52nd Street, or give Brody or Kim a call at 306-825-6310. Mac Construction, been doing business over 12 years with over 100 homes completed. They are a design, build, custom home operation that has been specializing in homes, cottages, RTMs throughout the ministering community since 2008. In addition to home building, they also do extensive renovation to uh, residences and light commercial work. If you're looking to build your dream house, head to macconstruction.ca and look no further. Kiva Concrete, since 1979, the good old year of the Edmonton Oilers. We're not going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers right now. (laughs) They've seen better days. Uh, Kiva Concrete, their family-owned operated business for 42-plus years, and they do all types of concrete work. They specialize in commercial, agriculture, and residential. That's basement floors, driveways, sidewalks, patio, garage pads, shops, barns, and countertops. Essentially, if you can dream it, they can do it. Give Chris a call today, 780-875-7678. Gartner Management is a Lloydminster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties. They got 1,800 square feet of open Area, whether you're a, a single, you just need a, a one small office or you got multiple employees, they can house you. Give Gartner Management a call, 780-808-5025. And if you're heading into any of these po- uh, businesses, podcasts, make sure you let them know you heard them for the podcast, right? Now, Auto Clearing Jeep and Ram, the Prairie's trusted source for Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, Fiat, and all other things automotive for 110 years, brings you the Ram Truck Rundown. Rundown. 
farmer, husband, father, community pillar. I'm talking about Des McMillan. So buckle up. Here we go. It is March 14th, 2021. I'm sitting with Des McMillan. So first off, thanks for uh, coming in. You're welcome. Now, what I do with everybody that comes in here is I uh, I want to know what you remember when you're like your first memories as a kid, uh, Maidstone and, you know, you're born in 47. So, you know, I assume early fifties. Uh, and if you can kind of take us back there and just kind of paint a picture of, of what life was like and, and we'll start there. Okay. Well, I don't remember anything really about Maidstone. I was born there, but in those days we never went to town. So town trips were very seldom. Mostly I remember is I pretty much grew up in the horse days. We rode school on horseback all the time, country school. The roads weren't plowed in the winter, so everywhere we went was horse and sleigh. Summertime we got around a little bit with a vehicle. Hockey on the outdoor sloughs, that was about our only entertainment. Where did where did you get uh Where'd you get your sticks from, your skates from? Uh, well, most of our sticks came out of the willow bush, and our skates were hand-downs from, I had a cousin that was playing hockey in Michigan State at that time. I, he got a pair or two from him, and I probably, my father managed to get enough money somewhere to buy us a pair of skates. Take me back to the willow bush. Explain this to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'd go find an old willow with a bend in it and carve out something that looked like a stick, I guess, and that would be it. You were saying you, as kids, would chop down a, a stick from a willow bush, and that's what became your hockey stick? Well, when we played out on the sloughs, by the time we were, I don't know, 10, ten years old, we probably started getting to go to town and we probably would have had a bot stick by then <laughs> what was the flex like on a willow stick <laughs> you had to be a real man to get a whip in it <laughs> <laughs> i just think of how far we've come in in our in our hockey you know world with uh with the one piece 300 and change odd dollar stick from the willow bush <laughs> Yeah, it's been quite a revolution in my life. Yeah, I mean, hockey was a was a big thing in your life. Uh, the questionnaire kind of paints that you're a border king through and through, and never sweats. Uh, you, you know, you played hockey a lot of years of your life. Yeah, I played all all my life. I went to Weyburn when I was 16, and from there on, I played pretty much every year since. Um, playing for the Red Wings? Uh, a little bit, mostly junior B. At that time, there was only six teams in all of Saskatchewan. So Junior B then might have been closer to A now, but there was only six major junior teams in Saskatchewan at that time. What did you think of heading to Weyburn at, at 16? Well, my older brother, he had gone two years ahead of me. He played for the Red Wings for three years. Then he had a little stint with Detroit. But that's one of my 
things out of the little town of Lashburn of 200 people in my day. We had a little four-team league right in Lashburn. We never traveled. And out of my group growing up, six of us played junior hockey at one time, and two of them went to the NHL for a stint. So I don't think you have to be traveling all over the country to play hockey. No, it's more probably about just getting the reps and, and getting on the ice and skating around and playing. Well, that's my idea. but You know, Lashburn's a... That's an interesting spot of the world because, you know, you, you mentioned um, the the guys going to the NHL. I, I think of, uh, you know, when I was young, it was the Spurs winning national championships. When Before that, now I know of the Bluebirds um, going to nationals and, and the list just goes on and on and on, it seems. And I don't know what it was about Lashburn. What was it about Lashburn that, that had something in the water? Yeah, I don't know whether it was water or not, but we also won quite a few baseball championships back then. And uh, later years, the rugby team That's right. won Saskatchewan a few times. Well, I've actually had Murray on here, Murray McDonough, and there's another one, right? Like, yeah. So is it just like leadership in there? Like was it the, the right groups of people got together and boom, now you have success? I don't really know really what the success was, whether hard work, luck, maybe a little talent, I don't know. Let's talk about the Border Kings. Border Kings, well, kind of like folklore now because, I mean, they're not playing anymore. But, you know, they won two Allen Cups here in my time uh, when I was watching. But, I mean, going back... Uh, Shep has regaled me with stories of the the old Border Kings. I'm sure he's done that for a lot of us. But you getting to play with them, what year did you what year did you start playing with the Border Kings? Probably in 1969 was when I started. Maybe 70, right in that era. And what, like, is that or is that before or after Max Bentley? Oh, that was after Max Bentley. Yeah, he was what late 50s. He must have been, yeah. Well, what was it about? Like, the Border Kings, even back then, I've heard all the stories about how fans just came pouring in and it was packed and it was the place to be and everything else. When you came back to play for the Border Kings, was there 100 guys lined up to, like, hey, I want to play for the Kings and... and we're going to go at it, or was it not so much? Uh, they had tryouts. There was enough people for tryouts in the fall. I don't know exactly what the numbers would have been, but there was a few guys around. And maybe just, I don't know, tell me a bit more, because you're the guy who got to suit up for the Kings back in the, the day and got to travel around. I don't know if you guys had a bus or if you were uh, hopping in vehicles and, and uh, carpooling. Uh, we were pretty much always in cars. The bus came along after us, but we... Uh, JRJ noises were great, and the townspeople and the business people in town supplied us with cars, and 
drivers generally. Sometimes we had to drive ourselves, but most of the time it was drivers. <laughs> Do you look at kids today and go, <laughs> like, everybody with their big giant bust rolling down the road? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My first bus was uh, Never Sweats. Well, I, I tell you what, the the Never Sweats is a is a story in its own. Like the group of guys that have turned an old timers hockey team into I don't know, certainly more than an old timers hockey team. I I mean, you have how many years you've been playing with the with the Never Sweats? Uh, about thirty four. 34 years. Never thought of hanging the skates up? Well, I seriously thought about it this fall when all the new regulations and all that, I was thinking about it, but I don't know. The guys kind of talked me into coming out for another year or two. Well, what is it about the Never Sweats then? Well, I think they're a great bunch of guys. We have a lot of fun. We some pretty good hockey players on it, or quite a few good hockey players on it, I guess. And we seem to be able to hold our own on most teams around here. But mostly it's the guys, I think. It's a fun bunch. Uh, I really like them. I'm going to rewind us back to being on the farm. You were on the, you were on the farm, and you said you didn't really get to town that much. Was that because there was just nothing to go into town for, or the distance at the time was too far, or? Well, I grew up in the era, there wasn't even power in the country when I grew up. I was 10 years old before power came to our place. We didn't even have a telephone until I was 12, probably. And vehicles, there was hardly any roads. Vehicles, I don't know. We, Probably money was a stumbling block in our family. There wasn't much of that neither. But nobody traveled much in them days. So no power in a little house. A little house is right. It was about 14 by 24 and four boys and mom and dad. It was a little house, all right. When you think back to those days, what what comes to mind? Oh, I I really don't know. Kids had a terrible amount of freedom in those days. Uh, parents were too busy trying to eke out a living to worry much about the kids. We roamed the hills and could get lost for the day, and parents had no idea where we went or when we'd be back, and nobody really cared, I don't think, or they didn't have time to care. I think it was a great time to grow up. We had all kinds of freedom. We did what we wanted. And how do you compare that to today? Well, before I had grandchildren, I said it took six people to raise a kid. And since I've been, have granddaughters, I've learned that I guess it does take six people nowadays, mom and dad and four grandparents to raise a kid. You said eke out of life. There wasn't a whole lot of opportunity back then? Oh, not in our district there wasn't. It was uh, my dad and all the neighbors. They'd returned from overseas after the war and tried to start a little farm. My 
dad for the first few years I was even remember we had a total of 20 acres broke that's what we were trying to make a living on and I mean the neighbors were no different we were all pretty much in the same boat out in our neck of the woods Did you ever talk to your neighbors or family about the wars, the, like those years? No, not really. I, the, all the servicemen I knew were very quiet about it. No, I don't remember that ever really being a, a big conversation at all, no. How have you seen um, from No Power... Uh, no running water, I assume. No running water, no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're going to stick here for a second. Because I've been reading the Fort Pitt Trail uh, stories, which are, you know, the generation before even that, right? So uh, the settlers and, and coming over and everything else. But with no running water then, what were some of the, the duties that you boys had uh, around the farm? Well, in our area, you, we didn't even have wells. Uh, we had to go a mile and a half to get drinking water. Our cattle, we had to take them three-quarters of a mile every day all winter to a slough to water them. So that was one of our duties was to move the cattle down there and water them every day. My dad hauled hay with four horses and a hay rack eight miles every day to feed our cattle. So it was a full-time job just getting by. Yeah, just getting by. You didn't have time uh, to worry about anything else? No, not really, no, no. No, I don't Don't remember ever worrying be a, a big part of any of our life in them days. It, it just was, was, it was, and that was it. You know, one of the things, though, I read is, is like, yeah, it was tough. It probably wasn't ideal, some of the things. And it wasn't glamorous by any stretch of the imagination. But it sounds like there was a ton of happy days back then. Yeah, I was always very happy. And I think that the neighbors were always very happy. I'm sure that the older folks had some real worries and they're thinking about trying to feed us and stuff. But the neighbors came just about every night when they wasn't busy and played cards. Kids fought and run and did our thing. How is, uh, from those days to now, how much, no, what or how has farming changed? Like, what's been some of the biggest changes that you've seen? Oh, technology has just outstripped us old guys. That's, that's the biggest change, and size. The biggest I ever really got was a couple thousand acres. Now, my son isn't a big farmer at all, and I think he's got 12,000 or something like that. So that's that's the difference. It's It takes a lot more acres to make a living now, I guess. <laughs> Do you ever think that you'd have to have something that big in order to make a go of it? No, I couldn't even dream of that big. No. Uh, the money and stuff involved now is just outstripped us old guys. 
when you look back on your uh, your years of farming, what was what was the funnest stage? Like what 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 days did you man? Those were some fun days. Well, I always really liked harvest. Harvest was always a good time, busy time, but uh, I liked harvest. But I'd go back to when I was a real young guy. My area even thrashed yet, and I worked on thrash crews. So, you you did thrash crews? Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know the questions to ask. I, I, I'm just... I've seen the old uh, thrashing unit, but that had to have been hard work. Yes, it was very hard work. As a young person myself, I probably wasn't working all that hard. I was shoveling grain or maybe a few bundles and stuff. It was more of a fun time, but it was a lot of camaraderie and togetherness and if you're having fun work doesn't really is never hard you do raise a good point there that's a yeah if you got the right with the right people anything can be turned into something uh, of well, it can be made fun, is exactly what you said. Exactly, yeah. That's what I think. What's one of the, what's one of the, then, using that thought, when you look back at all the different jobs and tasks and things you've probably built or had to work on or crappy jobs you've done, what's, what's one that you look back on where it was a crappy job? We knew that going in. But the group of us decided to have a little bit of fun with it and... We had a good time doing it. Well, I can never remember any job. Every job has some element that maybe you don't like, but I can't think of any job I ever had that I really disliked that I didn't want to go to work. I I think I enjoyed just about every job, and I've done a lot of them. If you were going to pass along some uh, advice to a 20-year-old, a young guy, What's something from your life that you would try and pass along to? Well, I think that if you're a positive person and can see the good side of everything instead of the bad side, that's a step up. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's a talent. Uh, you got to work on that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it is extremely easy to... Uh, it's extremely easy, and sometimes it just feels good to, like, just to. Well, if you're going to do much complaining about it, move on to do something else, I I would think. You had said that Betty Richardson was the most influential person in your life, and that was a school teacher. Well, we went to a country school up until grade six, and teachers in them days were probably undereducated, overworked. We had nine grades in our school. They didn't have the time to give us slow learners, I'll say, the time we probably needed. And halfway through grade six at Christmas time, my parents moved us into Lashburn on the bus, and Betty Richardson was a 
teacher grade six and she took me under her wing and treated me like royalty and gave me the attention that I craved I guess and if I owe anything in life to anybody it would be to Betty Richardson. She was the first real teacher that had the time or the patience or whatever to pay some attention to it. I always find it fascinating that you know you've been alive a long time and the most influential person in your life you know how old are you in grade six like 11 yeah something like that at 11 years old or 12 maybe somebody somebody just by giving you the attention you need well has that big an impact we went to town school and we're country bumpkins there was no doubt about that and she treated us just like we're royalty the same as all the rest of the kids and that was quite a step up I guess or made us feel good anyhow but why why is that why was that so influential on you then I don't know maybe she seen that us country Kids could be a success. I, I really don't know. But before, just to stay with that thought for a second. So then what you're saying is before you were in her class, you maybe thought you were kind of going nowhere? Oh, probably. We probably were going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's in, well I, once again, I just... You know, I, I guess I, I think of like business partner or uh, your wife or your parents or, I don't know, some friend or whatever. For a teacher to be the most influential person all these years later and for that to be like, you st- I'm trying to think if I can remember my grade six teacher. I just can't. And so I hate to stick on it, yeah. but well, I find it very, very intriguing, I guess. Well, it's teachers before and after that I don't remember neither, but Betty certainly stands out in my mind. Is there an instance that you can think of then? No, I I just think that the upbeat attitude she always had just made us all better people. Hmm. How many years have you been married now? 52. 52. Well, congratulations on that. That is a, that is a feat. That's a, that's a, well, I say it over and over and over again on these, but like in a world that is finding ways for people to get out of marriage faster and faster and easier and easier, uh, I find it very um, encouraging to see people that have been married uh, 50 plus years. How did you meet your wife? Uh, probably in the... Our time, social dances and school dances and stuff were a big thing, and that's probably where we met. Was it love at first sight? <laughs> well, I don't know whether about that, but <laughs> she was definitely attractive. <laughs> I got to ask, maybe maybe you're a huge romantic, Des. <laughs> oh, I'm a romantic. Oh, yeah. What... Uh... 50 years is a long time. 
I mean, in the grand scope of the world, it's a very short time. But for a person's lifetime, 50 years is a lot. What is 50 years of marriage taught you? You're lucky if you got an understanding wife, I guess. Mostly. <laughs> She's had to be pretty understanding <laughs> of you. Well, I imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Treat the people the way you want to be treated. And I don't know really what. I have no magic bullet there, I don't think. But we've been happy all all 52 of them, so. Well, what what truths have you learned over your life? I assume in, in the, well, 1947, what is that, 53, 74? 74, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, my math is on today. It has, <laughs> I'm not, uh, some days it's been spotty. In 74 years, when, you know, when COVID comes down the, the pipe, when lots of things are going on around the world, what are things you lean back on that you know for certain? Well, I guess the sun comes up tomorrow. Nothing is ever that bad that there won't be a tomorrow. How about uh, kids? When you had your... your Boys, right? Right. Two boys. Two boys. What were the years that... Uh, I'm smiling because I'm thinking right now we got three under five while he turns five here short like. And everybody tells me, enjoy those years because they won't last forever and certain things will happen as they get older and whatever. When you look back at the two boys, what were the best years? I don't really know if there was best years or worst years or it's everything's pretty much moved along. We've always got along. We've, there's never been any real upsets of a, any kind. And no, I, I really don't know if there's any best or worst. Or, How did having kids change you though? I really can't answer that. I, didn't uh, I should have brought my wife in? She might have been able to. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't worry about anything. Not as far as the kids go. I had lots of worries in my life, uh, but there are some worries. But I don't think I ever let them get me down too much. What has been maybe then the? What has been your proudest moment so far, thus far? I'm just throwing you up softballs. <laughs> I'm stumping Des. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. Uh, my proudest moments, uh, maybe when the bo boys are married, maybe some of my hockey or ball things. That I've had a, a few. Marriage, maybe my wedding was a proud day in my life. When you're playing uh, over your years of hockey, 
what's the game of hockey taught you that you've enjoyed so much? Because in order to keep playing for all the years you've played, um, I certainly love a lot of different things about hockey, but I find it very, uh, well, just think of dad. Dad didn't play hockey from, I think we were talking about it the one day. He had like 10 years, like a decade, where he didn't strap on the skates. And that happens to a lot of people, like a lot. What kept, like what, what's it that's kept bringing you back and wanting you to toss on the blades? Probably the camaraderie of the, the guys that really enjoy it. But like your dad, when my boys were in hockey in the later years and stuff, I probably took 10 years off, never put the blades on, chased them around, took them to hockey, coached hockey, stuff like that. So I took at least 10 years off and never played organized hockey. But then once I got a driver's license and left home, then I started again. Hmm. It's a tough time coming back, I can tell you that, after 10 years of not playing. If you ever get back, I don't know. I guess I never really thought of it that way. When um, when your kids get extremely busy into all that they do, mm-hmm. you probably don't have the time to... Well, that was me anyhow. I, I don't know. We're trying to make a living and chasing two boys around. It was a full-time job. Did you always want to be a farmer? Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I probably always wanted to be a farmer. Never, I don't know, graduated from high school and went, gee, I just want to, I don't know, I want to go to the other side of the world and see what's there. Well, I think I was farming three or four quarters of land while I took my grade 12, so I was farming well before I got out of school. So... No, that option wasn't there. I didn't have the money, the time, or the whatever to travel after school. So probably went right straight from school a tractor every night. So, yeah, no, that wasn't an option in my day. Went from school to farming, like you were running the farm or you were just working on the farm? No, I owned some land and had some cattle and stuff and rented land when I was still in grade 12 and 11. Really? In grade 12, you owned land and had cattle of your own and everything? A very small amount of owning, but I had rented some land and stuff, yeah. Was that under, like, uh, mentorship from your dad that you were doing that, or was that something that you were just like, nah, I'm, I'm going to go, here we go? Uh, probably here I go, I guess. Well, the reason I ask is, what? Well, I don't know what I was thinking in grade 12, but it certainly wasn't, hey, let's go buy some land and get some cattle and, and that type of thing. And I think majority would say that, that they're not too worried about getting rushing into the working world. Oh, I think probably my generation were thinking about it. Unless you're born to money you're starting to look at something I would think hmm 
that that's interesting because that is how much times have obviously changed then because although when I graduated I wanted to get a job and I, I, and I worked at a job uh, partially through high school and uh, certainly loved having money in my pocket as listeners probably know about me I was I was more interested in what was on the other side of the planet uh, for the most of the time or chasing hockey or or going where that led me I was very far away we're just it's just but I never worried about I guess I always was like hey, even if I got 10 cents in my pocket we'll just carry on we didn't have 10 cents in our pocket didn't have 10 cents in your pocket <laughs> I wouldn't think so we worked summer jobs even when we went to high school had jobs I started working for other farmers probably when I was 12 years old in the summers what would you do with your money? Well, it was damn little. I was making 50 cents a day, I think, when I was 12 years old. So there wasn't much. If there was any, it would have been a new pair of skates or a pair of hockey gloves or something like that. <laughs> the newest willow branch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably could step up a little bit if we had a good summer. <laughs> But, I mean, so you, you're, working at, you're working at 12. Fine. Fair. But when, like you're saying, after the war years, I mean, it's that's a long stretch from then. I mean, 1950, uh, 19, I keep saying 19, I keep thinking 1950, 1947, um, so by the time you're out of high school, it's like 65. There's no money yeah. around then? Uh, there was damn little in our farm, I can tell you. But the, when I was 12, though, that was eight years before that. So that was back in 55 or something like that. No, it'd be 58, 59. When I was 15, we started working in town at a construction. I was shoveling gravel, two basements a day, and then worked at night after that. You dug basements by hand? No, we poured cement, but in those days it was all with a shovel and a wheelbarrow. We poured two basements a day. Three of us in the gravel pile with a shovel, and we shoveled gravel all day long. You must have been in fantastic shape. Yeah, I, I think so. I tell everybody when uh, when I started with the Border Kings, I was 20 years old, and I weighed just about 200 pounds, and I had a 29-inch waist, so I was in shape then. Did you wear a helmet when you played? Uh, not well. I I think helmets came the second year I was at the Border Kings, but I can't say that for sure. I can't remember. That was about the era they came in when we played junior hockey. We had helmets, but I don't think seniors used helmets. I know when I was a helmet all star, I don't think I had a helmet. Okay, wait. So I'm going to stick with 
we're going to get to the All-Stars here in a second. Were helmets like, were you like wanting to rock the flow? Like, I don't want a helmet on. Like, I'm, or were you like, nah, I'm wearing a helmet. It is insanity not to play without a helmet on. I don't know if either really crossed my mind of everybody else wearing a helmet. I wore a helmet too. I didn't. I had no strong feeling one way or the other. It was just something that came. What years did you play for the Helmont All-Stars? Well, 1968 and maybe 66. I played the last year. I was in grade 12. I played the winter there. Then I spent a year playing for the Fort St. John Flyers in the North Peace League. Then I got married in 68, and I played that winter with Hillmont again. The three good years Hillmont had. The back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Yeah. <laughs> you won one of, one of the years. One or two of the years, yeah. I don't know exactly which year it was, but I was there for one or two of them. Tell me about Vern Priest. Oh, he was a natural. No, Vern was a very good hockey player, very good. Yeah. Like... Pick the puck up, go end-to-end natural? Or, like, Brett Hall blast at top shelf natural? Or, like, Eric Lindros, big, mean, can do it all? Well, I think he'd probably fit the first one. Vern was never mean. He was too good a guy for ever being mean. And I don't remember him blasting it, but... He was a good all-round hockey player, I think, could you say? Did you get lots of people in the old Silver Dome in Helmont? Oh, we packed her every night. Those must have been fun years. Yeah. <laughs> I played a lot of hockey, and I can't remember ever having a down year. with. I've always played with teams that were pretty competitive. Yeah, the, the reason I say it that way, though, is... Like, I played, uh, I think it was nine seasons for the Hitmen in, in Helmond, right? We weren't the All-Stars anymore. And, well, I mean, in that time, the Border Kings go away. You have teams that come and teams that go. But, I mean, for 92% of your games in a season, you didn't have that much fanfare, right? Like, you did it because you loved playing and loved being around the guys and, um, Still love the to compete and and uh, but then for the other eight percent of the games, if you made it far enough and had the right team come through the building, the crowd was just awesome. Like I can't imagine playing in the NHL and having like twenty thousand fans just going nuts, or or playing Division One hockey and having the fans just go nuts, or in the WHL and and PA when they get the milk crates out and because it's so packed and it's going nuts. Like, you get 800 people in the new rink at Helmond, and it feels like it's going nuts. You get 200 people in the old Dewberry barn, and it feels like it's nuts. So when you say you're packing rink all the time, to me, uh, you played in a very um, good time for senior hockey. Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue with that. No, I, I enjoyed every every game. 
if you could go back and suit up for any team, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna have all the the all the teams that you've suited up for going. You better say us. But <laughs> if you could strap on the jersey of any team and go back to a a season or a game, where would you go? I'd probably go to the Border Kings. I enjoyed them a lot, but not to put any other team down. I, I enjoyed every one of them. I'm still very close friends with just about every team I ever played with, if they're still alive. Why uh, Why did you play for all the different teams? Was it was that just guys coming and going, or, or um, did you always like kind of, oh, I've spent four years with the Kings, now I'm going to, I got asked to go out here and well some of it was farming wasn't very lucrative in them days and some places paid you a few dollars to play there and got you a good oh, job. Oh you're a hired gun. <laughs> yeah. Well, Did Hillmont pay you? <laughs> no, but I was kind of in between there where I was still in grade 12 and the next time I went there we were dismarried that fall and I had a bunch of tough grain that I was drying every day so I couldn't leave to go somewhere else, and I enjoyed Hillmont. Hillmont was great, and still got all my friends up there. Who 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 was the best paying team? Who paid the most, and what were you getting paid? <laughs> uh well, well, I made a whole hundred dollars and room and board when I played junior B in Weyburn a month that was quite a bit of money in them days back in 63 it wasn't big money but it was for a 16 year old kid it was spending money when you played after you played your junior b in weyburn did you think of like trying to go further with hockey was there avenues to go further with hockey not for me it wasn't good enough but there was for other people like my brother and Dwight Crothers from Lashburn, they went up to Detroit for a little bit and stuff like that. But there was only six teams in the NHL in them days too. So there wasn't a whole lot of openings. But like I said, I was never a good enough hockey player to go anywhere. Hmm. It's That's another thing that's changed then over the years because, I mean, if you do the math of where you were kind of sitting, the fact you were playing there puts you, you know, in the upper echelon of hockey players in Saskatchewan. And in today's world, well, I'll just look at my career. I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't NHL material, but I still managed to play a handful of years in junior A and another handful of years in division three. And, I found myself over to the other side of the world and, and played a little bit there. And and I just think that that obviously has been a huge change then since when you played to now. Yeah, probably. I, I really don't know. Maybe there was the opportunities there. Maybe I didn't look hard enough. But like I said, I probably wasn't of that caliber to go very far. tell you one interesting thing when I was 16 in those days the NHL owned all the junior teams in Saskatchewan and at their hockey camps their whole scouting crew would come and the 
head scout for Detroit called me into the room and he said, Des, if you knew anything about skating at all, you'd be in the NHL. And I never did learn to skate. You didn't... <laughs> my brain goes, man, I've been working on my skating so hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just... You have, uh, well, no. who's your favorite NHL team then? If if you're in the Detroit Red Wings organization, are you a Detroit Red Wings fan? I probably still like them the best, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big hockey fan. I like baseball far better than hockey, but. Really? I'm not a, a big hockey fan. I watch the playoffs, but that's about it. What is it about baseball? Well, I've played some pretty good baseball. I've been on two or three provincial championship teams, silver medalist in Canada. I got my name in the Saskatchewan Baseball Hall of Fame. So I I enjoyed baseball. I really enjoy baseball. What position did you play? Well, I was a catcher or else a fielder, one or the other. Man with the golden arm then, gutting guys out on second? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> How did you, uh, you mentioned silver medalists in Canada, like you're talking nationals? Yep. yep. Who were you playing with? With North Battleford. They picked me up to, well, I spent two years playing with North Battleford. Man, sports has made up a big chunk of your life, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been really good to me. Sports has been really good to me. Just in the friendships and the, and the, and the lessons and everything else? Yeah, in the friendships that I've made and yeah no I that was pretty much my life I guess was baseball and hockey until I got married and I never played baseball after I got married never had time was too busy making any living but up until that point it was big in my life hockey was in the winter time when it was kind of a downtime, so had time for hockey I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> I've really lost it. What do you think of this COVID? What do you think of right now, everything going on? Uh, you've seen a lot of different things over the span of a lifetime. What do you think of what's currently going on with the worldwide pandemic? I'll, I don't really know. I, I know that it's serious, but I think it was way overplayed by the media and maybe even the health people. Uh, it was tragic in the old folks' homes, really tragic, but I don't think that it was the pandemic that it was made out to be. It's very serious, but... I hear a lot more. I didn't, I wasn't around for the Spanish flu in 18 and 19, but I knew more families that lost people in our district then than there is now. 
Well, you just think <clears throat> the progression in in technology and running water and power and all the medicines and like the sanitization and the ability to like all these things, just all the progressions across everything. And you go back to the Spanish flu. Uh, life was a little different back then. And you just weren't available to the modern, you know, things that could help slow it down, so to speak, or help figure it out. Yeah. Dad told me a story once that you'd told him, and I'm curious about this. Is it true the North Saskatchewan River has went dry before? Well, that's what an old-timer told me when he was a kid that they took their cattle up there and there was just potholes in the river to water them. That was the only water. And your dad would know the old-timer. It was Frank Spence. He probably died before you came along, but he moved. I bought his land, and he moved to a little house in Hillmont. He was born in the late 1800s, so I don't know. Can you imagine there being no water in the North Saskatchewan River? Doesn't that hurt your brain a little bit? Think what it would do to Lloyd Minister. Or Edmonton. Or every city that grabs, or oil producer that grabs its water from there. Exactly, yep. I think your dad didn't believe me, and he looked it up in the annals of history, and he tells me it's gone dry three times in the last 200 years. So then what do you think about, like, can you imagine the environment? I got nothing the environmentalists, but can you imagine if that thing goes dry, the stories that'll be told? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a lot worse things than the stories that'll go on. It'll be mayhem in the cities. Your son was in was in politics, right? Where do you? What are your thoughts on? I don't know the political landscape, or having seen him take a foray into it, into the jungle, so to speak. What are your thoughts after? I don't know. Help this young guy along, because I I look at it and I it confuses me. But media plays a big part in everything, and I understand that. Well, media pretty much nowadays can get you elected or get you unelected, one or the other. I think it, it's a media game now. You everything has got to pander to the lowest denominator who give the most votes. So does any of that worry you? Like, do you, uh, oh, I, I guess if I was a worrier, it would worry me. But there's very little I can do about it, so I try and tend to not worry much about anything I can't change. But don't you think? You could change it 
like, you're a guy who said there's jobs that, you know, aren't that much fun, but if you get the right group of guys together or people together and take the right attitude towards it, it can be a lot of fun and you can change things. When I look at politics, that's a job nobody wants to do. Yet if you took the right group of people towards it and had some fun doing it, you could probably do a lot of good things. Well, I think the right people can do a lot of good things. I think there's been lots of good things done by the right people in politics. But the way it is right now, anybody with a professional career is not going to step down and go into politics for the wages I get paid. So I I just, that's one thing. I don't know it. the voting public are, they believe more what some movie star says than what a politician says. So I, I think our voters are very uneducated but I'm just a farm boy. I'm, I don't have the answers to uh, very many questions. Yeah, but in saying that, that's uh, a wise statement. I know you don't probably want the word wise associated with you, or maybe <laughs> you never thought I would say that word, but... Um, Uneducated people are probably easy to convince of just about anything. No? No, I don't. I think probably the maybe the uneducated have a better balance in their mind what's right and what's wrong. They don't get caught up too much in fads or in propaganda or Seeing is believing is maybe what I'm trying to say. I know Oprah Winfield wouldn't win many fans in my group. You didn't tune into the, uh, well, I don't even know their names. I don't know. The neither. royal. That's the only one that I know. <laughs> <laughs> the big interview with Oprah, and I'm like, ah. Uh, I don't know why anyone would want to watch that, but that... Yeah, uh, me neither. I'm sure it broke records because that's... Well, that's that's where a lot of people are nowadays. They, they like fluff mother better than facts or something. I, I don't know. The, everything is a 20-second news bite now that... but I'm the last person to talk deep about any subject. Well, I'm not going to hold you to the flame much longer. I <laughs> I uh I like deep uh, deep uh deep thoughts. I I I look at I look at you anyone older than me, especially when they've lived uh and I'm not trying to call you an old man by any stretch, but you've just lived oh. so many more years than I have. You've seen a lot more. Hell, you've talked to a guy that he says in his lifetime the North Saskatchewan River has gone dry. 
So I go, okay, so in your years, what are some things that you've seen that made seeing, you know, seeing is believing? I really can't answer that. I, yeah, I'm kind of from the old school. If it ain't black and white in front of me, you have to prove it to me. I, well, that's fair. Uh, I appreciate you coming and sitting in and doing this huh. and uh, letting me uh, poke and prod you a little bit. <laughs> oh, you're you're welcome. Okay. Well, thanks again, Des. Okay. We are back here for two seconds because we gotta, we gotta say that again. The worst time in your life, probably the worst time in my life for worrying, was I just bought nine quarters of land and my father, my uncle, and my father-in-law all mortgaged everything they had for me to borrow enough money to buy it, and the interest rates went to twenty and twenty-two percent, and that was a struggle. I really. Really had some worries and work to try and work out of that mess, but we survived it, and that was the tough years. You know, when I said seeing is believing, 22%, that's, that's believing, isn't it? That's something like I, I, can't even, I can't even fathom right now. Well, it was 20% anyhow. I think that it topped out at 22%, but I think I was paying at least 20% on my loans to try and make payments on this nine quarters of land. Man, you must have had to work your butt off and put every cent into that. Yeah, well, I worked off the farm full-time and farmed 1,200 acres and played a little hockey for a little bit of money and did a, a lot of different things to try and pay for it. And I struggled through. I got very, very lucky. I got a couple of oil wells towards the end of it, and that helped out and the rest is history I guess hmm I'm glad we got that <laughs> hey thanks for tuning in today folks hope you enjoyed a little flashback from the past make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast believe me it helps and I want you fine folks to uh, reach out if you're enjoying it uh, check out the phone number in the show notes uh, you can get a hold of me that way shoot me a text text is usually best and uh, I'd love to hear from you guys, what you like, what you don't like. You got thoughts for me. You got guest suggestions, etc. Love hearing from all of you fine listeners. And believe me, if you've listened this far, you must be enjoying it. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, check out my Patreon account in the show notes. Would love any support you guys are willing to give. Now, go kick some ass and be awesome. We'll catch up to you Friday.